Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. I see uh, Dana and um, uh, others who preach here, Tom, of course, they come up and they just lift this up so, and my nightmare was, my nightmare was that the thing wouldn't come up and that I would knock it over. Listen, uh, many of you don't know me and um, I, I, I can't give you a full introduction because that would take the whole time. Uh, but as we go along, if I do get to come back, um, if I do get to come back, you'll begin to hear some of our stories of where we have ministered, all the different places uh, we have lived. And uh, just so you have a little bit of context, we were here on, in Creston in 1994 is when we came. We moved from Boston and um, we came to Creston in 1994. Uh, moved to Ontario in 2002, and then in 2018 retired uh, from actually pastoring a church in Germany uh, to come back to Creston, um, which says a lot about the people and the churches of Creston. It's um, where we wanted to be uh, to continue on in the next stage of uh, of our life. We love Creston. We love being here. We raised our our children through their teenage years here, and there's many people in this church who uh, were friends of uh, of our kids. Um, we have four children. Uh, one of them uh, lives here in Creston with us. Amanda is here. Uh, the other three uh, are uh, married with uh, their own children in Alberta. Um, hey, listen, I got to tell you this. It is Mother's Day. And uh, my wife, Yvonne, um, a great mother to four kids, and she's a wonderful grandmother to eight little kids. Um, and I just uh, want to celebrate her today on Mother's Day. And did you know, you wouldn't know this, you wouldn't know this, um, <laughs> unless you, you, you have me on Facebook, but, but 45 years ago, 45 years ago yesterday, um, we got married. 45 years. She has tolerated me. She has tolerated and endured me in all of my uh, wanderlust to go all over the world. Um, and she has embraced that. And um, so I appreciate that. This is actually really significant. Uh, our 45th anniversary also, in May 45, 40 years ago, in May 40 years ago, I graduated from seminary. That's a long time ago. That, that was before we even had, can you believe, students, that we, we did studies without computers and tablets, and uh, uh, it was just amazing. And writing papers, uh, Yvonne, my wife, what a great lady she was, she, and, and Dana knows now that I'm a, 
uh, a person who works under pressure. I, I keep working at things until the last minute. And if my papers all through seminary, if they were due at, at nine o'clock on a morning, I would work right through until eight thirty. And uh, I would be writing, and then I'd be handing them to her for her to type them. Some of you don't even know what that is, but to type them on a typewriter. And and finally, after uh, the master's degree, she said, if you go for any more education, you have to do your own typing. So I haven't done any more education. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Just Just for you young women... Young men, after grade 12, I did nine years of education. Nine years. And for five of them, we were married. So for five years, she waited for me to get a real job. Not something part-time. She supported me for five years, which is amazing. Enough about you, Yvonne. Um <laughs> You know, mothers are, are uh, pretty significant, and we have to acknowledge that uh, today, how important mothers are. And, um, uh, you know, the grade two class was uh, doing as best they could at their level. They were doing some historical studies of great people through history at a grade two level. And then at the end of this whole study series, they were to write a little paragraph just a little paragraph on who was their hero. And so the grade two little girl came home and told her, Mom, I had to write this paragraph about my hero. And, and Mom, I wrote about you. And Mom said, oh, modestly, of course, what made you write about me, my dear? Well, it's because I didn't know how to spell Mother Teresa of Calcutta. <laughs> hey, we come to a section uh, in the scriptures, and we'll put the verses up in, in just a moment. But we come to a, a section in the scriptures. Oh, we have to just point this out, that if we're talking about the king's speech and, and the kingdom, you've been laying foundations uh, since this series started, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're going to build a house here, okay? The kingdom of God and the idea that the people in the kingdom of God are kingdom citizens. And now we're moving into this section which Bill introduced last week, talking about living towards God's law. And specifically today, when we come to these verses in just a minute, we're going to talk about truth-telling about keeping your promises, being honest and a person of integrity. And uh, I looked up, you remember David, some of you will remember David Letterman's top ten. Some of you probably won't even admit that you watched David Letterman, but um, the top ten liars lies. The top ten liars lies. Number ten, We'll stay only five minutes. Number nine, this will be a short meeting. That's a lie. Uh, I'll skip number eight. Number seven, uh, the check is in the mail. Number six, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Number five, 
This hurts me more than it hurts you. What a lie that is. Number four, your money will be cheerfully refunded if you're not satisfied. Number three, we service what we sell. Hmm. Number two, your table will be ready in just a moment. We were in a restaurant in Florida a number of weeks ago when we had all our family together and and um, we were out with my sister from Boston and 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 they said, oh, maybe 45 minutes and it was two hours. OK, they lie, they lie, they lie. Number one, number one. The greatest lie that liars tell I'll start exercising, dieting, forgiving and telling the truth tomorrow. The greatest lies that we tell. We're all familiar with not telling the truth. And sometimes it even hurts. It even hurts if someone tells the truth. Uh, as uh, pastors and preachers, we're used to people going out after church and uh, saying, Oh, thank you for that lovely, inspiring sermon, pastor. And, and the pastor said, said, Well, you should really thank the Lord. Well, pastor, it wasn't that good. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes, though, the truth needs to be said. And the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. But the problem that this scripture is going to address, that Jesus is concerned about, is that people do not tell the truth enough. And maybe that's characteristic of the society in which we live. I'm not sure. People have trouble telling the truth at all stages in life. Young children, older children. I won't even ask you about your teenage years and the things that you did to deceive your parents. But adults and even older adults have trouble telling the truth. And and it's for many different reasons. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're nervous. Sometimes we are just knowing what will come if we tell the truth. Sometimes we want to boost our ego. But we're not telling the truth often enough. Let me take you to the scriptures from Matthew chapter 5. And we'll look at these three screens now that uh, break the scripture down. From the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, says Jesus, I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of the concepts that you will hear about uh, as we go through this passage are things like, if we can go to the next slide, please, are things like 
hypocrisy and truth telling and swearing an oath and vows or integrity, making promises, being transparent, being honest. And these are the words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.33. If they're not used in the Sermon on the Mount, they are implied. And there's a greater treatment of it later in Matthew in chapter 23. Well, we'll leave that slide up for a little while as we go through some of these concepts. Note that we're not talking when we're talking about swearing as profanity, taking the Lord's name in vain. What we're talking about is swearing an oath, whether you put your hand up, your right hand up, or your left hand up, or you put your hand on a, on a Bible. You're swearing by something higher, by some higher authority. So it's not, nothing to do at this point with cursing or taking the Lord's name in vain. What we're talking about is making a promise. And if you make a promise but don't keep it, or if you make a promise with the intention of not keeping it, you're basically a hypocrite. And you've heard that word spoken before from Scripture. Jesus uses it. It's a Greek word that's linked in the Greek language to the theater mask, the Greeks. Uh, being actors on stage, and when they put their masks on, or when anybody goes on stage and is part of a play, they are pretending to be somebody that they're not usually. And hypocrisy is when you pretend to do something in the name of a higher good or God, and you actually don't mean it. And so when you think of the word hypocrisy, which is what's going on when people swear oaths but don't keep them, is that you are like the Greek actors. You are pretending to be something that you're not or pretending to say something that you really don't intend to say. It doesn't represent the true self. One of the people who has written a commentary on Matthew has called this call for honesty is called it transparent honesty. That word transparent isn't used as much as it was maybe 10 or 20 years ago. Everyone says, oh, you've got to be transparent. Remember that? You've got to be transparent. Well, that's true, meaning what you see is what you get. And when you speak, it should be honest truth. In the Old Testament, much like a divine sign, like the rainbow, there was always something to accompany the promise. An oath or a vow helped signify how serious it was and how important it was to keep your word. And this person could swear by the name of God to substantiate and guarantee the important promise. The prophets spoke clearly about the problems of oath-taking. The prophets condemned people when they broke their oaths. Well, of course. The prophets complained when people would swear falsely, making oaths that they had no intention of keeping. Or swearing by the names of foreign gods, how, how, how wrong that was. Because the first commandment, you know, you have no other god. And you swear by a foreign God that you're going to tell the truth? Hey, don't play that game. And the prophets would condemn the people for that. 
by the time of Jesus, the rabbis had developed a hierarchy, a structure of oaths. Uh, Bill kind of talked about this last week and, and all the rules and all the regulations that they have. And so by the time of Jesus, you have heard it said, not just from the people of the Old Testament, but from the current religious leaders. Jesus saying, you've heard it said, you know, you can swear by this, and swear by this and swear by this, but don't swear by this. And don't. I mean, so many rules and they'd broken it down. Only oaths, only oaths invoking God's name were really binding by that point. If you use the name of God and you said, I'm going to tell the truth, so help me, Yahweh, and you weren't really supposed to say God's name, well, then you were going to tell the truth. But if you swore by Jerusalem or the altar, maybe you didn't have to keep that. And they had this hierarchy and this levels of truth-telling, which was very complex. And you had to know the laws inside and out. And what they did was they gutted, as Bill said last week, they gutted the intent and the spirit of the law. I call it loophole living. Jesus points out that even less than sacred items are really sacred. The temple... Well, that's as sacred as God's name. It's even the hairs on your head. You know, you have no control over your hair, right? <laughs> you have no control over your hair. You don't know how many there are. You don't know how many there are. You can't control uh, uh, everything that's going on. It really is up to God. And so, so just say, well, I swear by the hairs on my head that I'm going to tell you the truth now. Well, you're already giving recognition to a higher authority. So none of this breaking it down into, into a pyramid of, of what's important and what's the most important. Jesus jumps in front of everyone, okay? This is what Jesus is basically doing with a little bit of embellishment from Doug. Jesus is standing there going like this. Wait! Wait! You got it wrong! Whoa! You gotta do the law keeping with an engaged heart, and it really does come from the heart. You're turning a sacred covenant making thing into a deceptive falsehood. Get your acts together, Jesus is saying. Avoid trickery, avoid corruption, avoid hair splitting, missing the point hypocrisy. There's no credibility, no authenticity, no integrity with the way you're doing it. And the bottom line is that oath-taking laws had created a monster of multiple systems of speech. It would be like digging and analyzing various dialects to find out what was really important and really true. Dana, when she introduced this whole series, talked about Jesus leading a counterculture movement talks about a different way of speaking and living if you're kingdom citizens. His people need only speak because their heart and character mean everything spoken is going to be absolutely true, absolutely dependable, absolutely believable. For the kingdom citizen, the one who belongs to Jesus, for you and me, 
We just need to speak our words. Why should we have to preface it with, I'm going to tell you the truth now. I'm going to swear an oath. Why? Why? People of Jesus shouldn't have to do that. Just speak. Because if you are related to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, then you will speak the truth. No question. I just want to drive that point home, and so I'm just going to read to you one little paragraph from an ethics textbook. Listen carefully. The oath level really only exists because people cannot be counted on to speak truthfully under normal circumstances. Otherwise, there would be no need for it. If people cannot be counted on to tell the truth, not under oath, then why should they be trusted to do so when they are under oath? If truthfulness in and of itself is not valued at all times, then no one's speech can be fully trusted. And of course, the whole situation is worsened beyond repair if I then introduce various exceptions or escape clauses within the oath system. If I sometimes use oath cynically to fool people into believing my lies, what kind of person have I become? Some not so refined people would answer that question I just asked and say politicians. But I didn't say that. I said some not so careful people. So are you with me? There was this, this, this escalating uh, pyramid of oath taking levels and it just made no sense because it doesn't represent true spirituality. It's living the loopholes which just is not what Christ wants. And so, next slide. We go to Jesus' words. Your yes is your yes, and your no is your no. You don't have to preface it with an oath. And you get that yes, yes, no, no thing in Matthew 5, also Paul in 2 Corinthians and James 5.12. So it's something that's there and to be recognized. No crossing your fingers... When you make a promise. Now, crossing your fingers has a number of, of implications, but one way crossing your fingers is, is that you really, you really hoped that you would have good luck and you wouldn't be punished for the lie that you're about to be told. We use crossing the fingers for hoping for good luck. I'm going to I'm going to pass that test tomorrow cross my fingers that hope 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 hope. Well, then they used it to say, well, I'm just hope I don't get caught in this lie. There's no need for and what do we use? On my mother's grave, cross my heart and hope to die. Scouts honor. I swear on a stack of Bibles. So let's move through some of the lessons that I think are here in these words of Jesus. I think it's clear from the words of Jesus at the very end that if you are not going to keep your promise, your words come from the father of lies, even Satan 
himself. If I can't take you at your word, you're no different than Satan. That's pretty strong language and should wake the audience up. Is it okay to take or swear an oath when you're in court or being installed in a position of responsibility? How about when you make promises at a wedding ceremony and you have witnesses and you exchange rings as symbols of the promises that you have made to one another? Or was Jesus saying, don't have any oaths, don't have any signs of a promise? You know, in church history, the early church fathers, people with these kind of names, you may have I've heard about them in history class or read about them. People with the name of of Justin, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Origen, they considered the words of Jesus to be an outright total prohibition. Never in any circumstance make a pledge or swear an oath when you make a promise. Quakers and Anabaptists picked this up later on and paid Deep penalties for taking a stand. People like Augustine and Luther and Calvin, they saw the words of Jesus to be a call to be an honest person. But sometimes when you live in a civil society, you may be asked to take an oath. And that's okay. Nothing like what was going on with time of Jesus with the Pharisees. Because if there's an outright ban on taking an oath, then what do you do when you're called to court and the court of the law says you need to promise to tell the truth? I know, oh, well, look, judge, I know everybody else who comes up here either holds their hand up or puts their hand in the Bible. But, hey, I'm a Christian. You don't need to worry about me. I really don't. No, I don't need to sign those papers when I buy a house because I'm going to keep my promises. Or when I take a mortgage, I'm going to keep those promises. Our society wouldn't allow that to happen, right? So now you kick in the ethics of being an obedient citizen to your country. And how far does that go? You see, you start getting into what we call ethical dilemmas. So you have to decide, you know, is that an outright prohibition? The fact that the Apostle Paul uses oaths a number of times in his letters in the New Testament might suggest that it's not an outright prohibition. But what we have here is Jesus saying, enough. You have heard it said that there's different ways you can get around lying and not really telling the truth and fudging the truth. But I tell you, be honest. And that could be the intent of what he's trying to say. Be honest. I wondered if truth-telling is important in today's society. Oh, I'm tempted to talk about the leaders of certain countries when it comes to lying. And how media keeps track almost daily of lies that are told by some of our leaders and leaders of other countries. Is truth-telling important in today's society? Is it needed? The guys who wrote this 
thick textbook on ethics. They said before they wrote it, they surveyed over 50, I think it was 54 textbooks. And this is what a good writer will do. A good writer will always research what already has been written on the subject and then try and take a little different twist to it or, or take issue with some of the things. They, they, they reviewed 50 texts and only 6 out of 50 had a section in an ethics textbook on truth-telling. 6 out of 54 the Protestants were typically not paying attention to truth-telling. Roman Catholic authors were a little better at t- paying attention to truth-telling. I don't know what that tells us. Is truth-telling needed in our society? Do you remember the old TV show, To Tell the Truth? Some of you won't be old enough, but I looked it up on the computer just to make sure I had the title of the show right, and I did. And there's all these old black and white clips of when the show came on. And uh, basically, it was very interesting. They would put three, they would have a panel at a table here, at a desk here, the the, the panelists who were going to uh, ask questions, um, and then up behind them, They had three people, one who was the real person, and then the two others who, what is your name? My name is Dana Sproul. My name is Dana Sproul. My name is Dana Sproul. Okay? So all three were the famous people, okay? And and then these, these, these examiners down here with their backs, and sometimes they had to disguise the voices and voice of, of the people back here just in case you would recognize the voice. But they would ask questions and vary. Number one, what do you say? And, and number two, how did you handle this problem? And number three, do you know so and so? Only the one person who was the person of interest was sworn to tell the truth. The other two, the other two could answer the questions in any way they wanted. And the idea was to tell them in such a way that you would make the panelists believe that you were the real Dana Sproul. And then, of course, they would all vote and we'd see who got the closest, who was the winner and that type. So two out of three people were allowed to tell lies. Just count off next to you. One, two, three. One, two, three. Two out of you in those rows right there. You're allowed to tell lies. Only one has to tell the truth. Jesus says, that's the stupidest thing. If you're a follower of me, you tell the truth. One of the games that I don't like to play a lot of table games. My family will tell you that unless I'm in charge. And if I'm in charge, I sometimes blend the games. I make my own rules and everything like that, but I don't like to play. Uh, I liked to play uh, something called Balderdash. That's where you're really good at making something appear to be true that isn't true. That's so much fun. The problem is, that's the way we live our lives all too often. All too often. Okay, we've got to move. The teaching of Jesus transcends time. There's no expiry date on the Sermon on the Mount. 
So if he said these words 2,000 years ago, they're still true now, and they still need to be followed now. Words must be believable. We should not really need the lawyers. We should not really need uh, someone to witness the papers. We should not. I tell you, I'll do this. And you'll do it, right? It's an important topic. And maybe this is where it hits home. Maybe some of you have been raised in families. Or maybe some of you have lived among churches where truth was not told. Trust is broken down. You've lived with betrayal and broken relationships. And there's chaos and pain, and havoc, and heartache. And that's why truth-telling is necessary. And that's why the people of God have got to lead the way, because it's a hurting society, and we are responsible by the grace of God, with the help of the Spirit of God, to make it a better place. And so I leave that phrase, truth-theology, and I put John in brackets because... If you go to the Gospel of John, if you go to the Gospel of John, you know, in the New Testament, the pure word for truth is mentioned 31 times and 21, 25 times. Sorry. The word for, for, for truth is mentioned, uh, you may get it right, 31 times, 25 of those times are in the Gospel of John. So sometimes... Take your concordance, you know, that tells you the words and where they are in the Bible and look up the Gospel of John and, and go through and remember the theology of John. I'll just, I'll just tell you a few verses. 114. When it, when it says, you know, he, he's come to dwell among us and we behold grace and truth. 14.6. I am the way, the truth and the life. Back to chapter 8, verse 32. The truth will set you free. Those are just three examples. John's got the theology of truth. And so here's your call to action. The way of deliverance from this vicious cycle of verbal untrustworthiness. To getting rid of the sin of dishonesty. Submit yourself to the Lord. Repent and rely on the Spirit. Deceit is not what God wants. For the inbreaking of the kingdom society that Jesus brings is one of truth, among many other things. But it's one of truth. And if you're going to live as a kingdom disciple, then live as a kingdom disciple. And don't cross your fingers behind your back. And don't have, have this this tendency to, to have to say, I'm really telling the truth now. Just speak your words. Speak your words. Be a promise keeper. I don't know what your connotation is when I say promise keeper. There was a men's ministry, maybe still is called Promise Keepers, a discipleship of, of, of men. And uh, some people liked it, some people didn't like it. 
for a whole variety of reasons. But you are to be a promise keeper. Here it is. Picture in your mind the hospital bed in a hotel, in a, hotel, in a hospital. Oh, listen. Listen, there are some, one of our daughters, when we were vacationing just a few weeks ago in Florida, um, had to miss three out of six days at Disney because she all of a sudden needed gallbladder surgery and gallbladder removed. We had to take her to a hospital and just not, you know, always get your insurance when you're outside Canada because it can happen. But the hospital I took her to was like fancy hotel. Good thing Alberta Blue Cross is going to cover all of that. It was, that's, anyways, picture the hospital bed and, and, and tubes and, and the things that you don't really want to have to go through. But you all have visited someone who's been like that or seen it on TV. Everybody's hooked up. I mean, the patient's hooked up. There's an older man and sitting is an older woman. So we figure they're husband and wife and, 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 and he comes out of his, semi-consciousness, and he says, Ethel, Ethel, is, is, is that you, my dear? And she says, yes, dear, I'm here. I'm here right by your side. I'm here right by your side. He goes back to sleep, wakes up 30 minutes later, and says, Ethel, Ethel, you're here. You're here with me in the hospital. Remember when I had my first heart attack and, and, and you were by my side? Yes, dear, I remember. 30 seconds later, Ethel, Ethel, remember, remember when our house burned down? You were there right by my side. Yes, dear, he sleeps for another hour or two. Ethel, Ethel, you're here with me. Remember when our our son ran away from home? You were right there with me. Ethel, Ethel, remember when I got fired from my job and you supported me and you stayed right with me? Ethel, Ethel, you're right here by my side. Another hour, he wakes up, he says, Ethel, you're, you're here by my side. Ethel, Ethel, you're just plain bad luck. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's keeping your promise. That's keeping your promise. And God bless us as we try to be promise keepers. I'm done. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.